sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. Hey, what's up, everyone? Griff here, Beer Engine Podcast, your favorite show, your nicest friends. We're back with you. And uh, my nicest friend, he's very uh, far away from me. Uh, He uh, just recently uh, was relieved of his duties as the campaign director for now former Representative Elliot Engel. Uh, Tony, you know, I got to say, they put Epstein's Black Book up, I thought, as a cautionary thing, but you just used it for marketing. That's interesting. How'd that go for you? Look, it is a cautionary tale. I just think we went... um while I think Epstein was tainted, I just think we we went too far left with the people we looked <laughs> for endorsements of. I think we need to be looking for people that will represent the modern party of the modern part of the Democratic Party. I'm looking at Joe Lieberman. I think we can get him back. I think he would give some real energy to our current ticket. Look, Steve King has been exiled from the Republican Party. I also think he's a chance to join our new, more energised base. And, look, I think we can even look at getting current Republicans. I'm looking at you, Louis Goma. Oh, yeah, that guy. Um, hey, and if you want someone else who's on the island, give Dershowitz a call, baby. I mean, maybe he'd be into it. Look, um, and I think we need to look at prison reform as well. <laughs> and you know who I'm looking at there, right? One Roger Stone. That guy, while he has great political nows, what a fashion sense. That guy, That's a so point. sharply dressed. That's what our ticket needed. The only guy who looked better was Ailes, and he died. So, I mean, we can't, we can't bring him back. Um, <laughs> I did, uh, in all seriousness, uh, I do want to, you know, give a shout-out to, uh, as, a, as a proud uh, leftist, um, Jamal Bowman. And it looks like Charles Booker is going to win, too. So, this Sandinista is... Uh, I'm bored with my boys out there. Um, I did think it was funny that literally, if you read down the list of the endorsers of Angle, you could—it's—it's it's pretty much the Epstein book. I mean, it's—it's it's all your favorite, favorite folks gang. It's amazing. <laughs> and laughed. I laughed all morning about this. Um, Tony, uh, I'm drinking a beer. I know it's the morning where you are. I'm having a a little non-hazy IPA. I think it's intended to be hazy, but it doesn't look hazy. It is double dry hopped. Um, it's called Double Scatterbrain. It's from Bearded Iris in Nashville. They're a pretty popular brewery around here. This one, uh, big time Citra, Tony. This is this is an orange juice bomb right here. I, I like a good orange juice bomb. Are they ever good enough, though, to be a five-star? I, I think plenty of them are 4.75, and I'm not saying they're a bad style. I love them, but do they ever, like, knock one out of the park? And uh, this is a 4.25. I, you're right. I do think they, they run a little sweet for me. You know, it, it just, it, this one doesn't have quite that little bite. And it's pretty much, I feel like it's a, it's a all Citra, entirely Citra IPA. And it just sort of like, it's sweet and it's, it's bright. And then it just sort of like goes away. You know what I mean? Like it, it just sort of disappears. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's a, I think it's a solid representation. And I, you know, I enjoyed both cans of it, but I think that's about the the max for me. Um, I did have a, you know, we, we, we talked about our 
And I posted about our rating rubric. I know everybody loves rubrics. Um, it's their favorite thing to do is listen to like a, somebody recite their way they rate things. Um, although I just realized that it sounds like I'm making fun of someone else's podcast when I say that. So just kidding. Um, uh, I did have a beer that fell off the rating scale, Tony. We talked about that, how I will often just not rate beers that sort of miss the mark entirely from me. Um, and I had one that was, uh, that, that fell off of the, uh, scale. I just didn't rate it. Um, it, you guys can find it on my untapped. If you want to find out at AJ or sorry, no, that's not what it is. It's at <laughs> Griff AD. And, uh, the, um, uh, it was a kind of like a, it was like a coconut and caramel and had all kinds of sweet stuff in it. And I think it just, it tasted like it was souring and it was, um, and it gushed like half the bottle out. So that was a bad sign right off the, right off the bat. So was it a fact it was an infected beer being a gusher? Do you think? I think it was maybe not. I think it was on the, it was, it was teetering. I would say, you know what I mean? Um, I could pick up the tartness. I would say if I drank it a week ago, maybe it wouldn't have been as clear. Um, but it had a distinct like funk to it at this point. So I would argue that it was some, something happened in the bottling yep. and it tasted like you ever get that taste where it's like caramel sauce. It's been in the fridge a little too long or, or something like I have that. Had you know that. I mean, just like the, yep. the sweet to the point of tart. You know, I, you know, I'm saying, uh, it had this, like, it was really, really brutal. Um, and it was too bad cause it was something I'm sure I overpaid for on Tavor and just had to flip over in the drain. Cause I said, I'm not putting myself through this. This is going to be a combo of tasting bad and horrible heartburn. Um, so it just went away. So rip to that beer. Um, on the other hand, I did have a, a different sweet beer with a bunch of sprinkles or something in it that last week that I did enjoy. Nice. Um, you like beers with sprinkles, Tony? You ever have anything? You ever have like a cupcake beer or anything? <laughs> Stuff with just caramel dumped in it? We have all kinds of crap like that here. If I can get you to bring up my untap, because I know you've, you're have you logged into untap mm -hmm. and I've got a device right there, you will um, notice I think it's the last beer that I rated on untapped. While not a cupcake with sprinkles, it I did make reference to an Australian candy in the fact that the beer I had, which is not coming to my brain right now, the name of it, but it was exactly like drinking a cherry ripe. Not sure whether you ever had a cherry. Oh, cherry. I see you said cherry ripe, and I said, okay, does he mean ripe cherry? What's he talking about? Um, <laughs> I did. But uh, this is Powder Day by Nomad Brewing Company at, you know, uh, you're at your house, clearly. So this is um, – now, what is a cherry ripe? Tell me about this. Okay. It's a candy bar that um, the centre of it is like mushed up cherries and coconut. Mushed up cherries? Well, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, let's not use the word mushed. Let's use the word, they're like a glacé cherry and they're chopped up along with coconut and then they're wrapped in dark chocolate. Oh, what on earth is this? Uh Oh, I want this. It's very odd looking. Um, so, so if I, okay. So is the cherry and the coconut mixed together yes. and put in? Okay. If you so can yeah, imagine like, like a, a mound yeah. filling or an almond joy filling without the almond, but not yeah. only coconut, but with cherries in that filling. And is it, is it like sticky chewy or is this like, yeah. What, what's the texture? 
on this thing in there. The de- the texture is not crazy sticky chewy, but it it does have some chew to it. It is okay. um, really delicious. I of course forgot that you guys don't get cherry ripes. It's not it's not something that you chew on for hours, but it takes a couple of chews to 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 enjoy it. Um, is the only way I can sort of describe it. You you can break it off. It does. You're not not pulling it apart like taffy. It's nothing that extreme. It is very much like a a mound sort of texture. Um, Tony, you can't you can't tell me anything like this without me just going into Amazon and buying it. And I'm buying it right now. <laughs> I'm doing it. Uh, but this beer tasted exactly like a cherry ripe, so I think it would be right up your alley. It had the big milk bomb that comes with a lactose stout. It had great cherry flavour, and it had a good good whack of coconut. It was arrives arrives July twenty first. I have content to make. You can't make me wait that long. <laughs> Garbage. All right. I would send one um, over quicker, but uh, yeah, with the uh, yeah, postal well, system, the way it is. Go on YouTube these and make look, it. These look, really, these look crunchy to me. It, it looks like it's crunchy, but I know it's not because the inside makes me think of it. It has this com this type of look that reminds me of like a um, like a Nutty Buddy. If if you're familiar with those, like a it's like a peanut wafer. Okay, I'm um, not oh, here's, how make a, here's how to make a cherry ripe. Okay, that might have to be. Okay. All right. I want that thing, Tony. That sounds good. And the beer sounds good too, whatever you're talking about. Um, uh, I have not, I have actually am typically not a huge fan of fruited stout. So I'm, I, I actually would be curious to give that a shot. Why is that? Do you think just too many bad examples of fruited stouts or you don't think it goes with the sort of big chocolate? notes seeing you're a big I, coconut stout guy i thought like fruit and coconut together would really I work for you that is a fruit, yeah. um i i think i have um i think i struggle maybe it's maybe it's not a problem with with the stouts themselves or the, the fruit and the stout itself as it is with um how it's added or or how it's made um i don't love when it becomes overly distinctly tart um, if I get the distinct like tart fruit flavor with the stout, I, I just, it's just not a great combo to me. Um, I'm fine with tart fruit beers. I like fruit beers. I like them to be sour. I love, I mean, you guys fans, you guys know, I love a Creek. I love a Frambois. I love fruited American sour. I love my gloop. I love my gloop, but I, uh, I don't, um, I, for some reason, those flavors with, with like a big bodied stout just doesn't really do it for me for some for some particular reason. Like even though this was up in the eight percent, I think um, it wasn't like a super big body stout. I wouldn't I wouldn't push it up into the sort of um, okay. like sip it kind of stouts. It's one you enjoy. You don't guzzle it, but it's not like Goose Island that's sort of motor oil thick. It, it wasn't it wasn't going that far. And I think with the cherry, to be fair. I think they were probably using an extract. I don't have a problem with using extracts. Do yeah. whatever you've got to do to get the right flavour into a beer. Flavor, and um, doesn't bug me. Almond extract, I like that stuff, man. Coconut you and extract, your f- fucking almond extract. I'm on the Kelly train here. It's terrible. You oh, yeah. probably like Dr yeah. Pepper's. Dr Pepper, the pop. Yeah, uh, I'm fine with Dr Pepper. I I don't drink a lot yeah. of. I don't drink a lot of sodas. Um, sugar ones anyways 
Uh, actually, this black forest cake thing that you had um, a couple of weeks ago is still sounding good to me. So maybe I'm just wrong. I, I like all cherry things, honestly. So I'd probably like this. I, I don't care. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just looking for something to complain about, frankly. Um, yeah, so I, I did have some gloop, Tony, also, while we're talking about some beers we had recently. Um, I had some beers from a series from a local brewery called Phase 3. We're in Phase 4. Don't make the joke. I already <laughs> did. Um, but uh, we did. Uh, they made a beer. It's it's a series of nectars. And I will say they, they do bear a resemblance to, I don't know if you're familiar with these, Tony. Are you familiar with fruit nectar? Like the Yes. Yep. The sort of. I think Goya makes them here. And like, well, I forget what the, is like Jumba or some company like that. I can't think of the name, but um they have like the mango nectar and stuff and this had that texture that kind of like slightly thick sweet fruit yep texture and like the very slightest carbon or carbonation like like a teeny bit of carbonation um they were fun to drink uh <laughs> it was a little rich i'll say um for for beer you know not a lot of uh I would say drinkability to me was relatively low i don't know if i could sit around and pound 16 ounces of that but you know, I had one that was plum pomegranate and one that was um, blood orange and apricot. And uh, I really liked the blood orange one, I think. But uh, Kelly preferred the plum pomegranate. Um, they both looked amazing. They were both like totally opaque. Um, very gloopy, Tony. Love me some gloop beer as, as we found out in having my first real taste of, of gloop. It's delicious. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to get your hands on around here. People, people love their gloop. I, I got these from a friend who, uh, who braved the, uh, the dangerous outdoors, the, the rugged outdoors to wait in a car line and pick them up from some brewery. I don't know. I'm getting, I think like 60 miles from here, probably. It's crazy. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, so, uh, Tony, I thought, uh, last week I, uh, I previewed a little segment that we were going to try out. Uh, I thought we could give that a shot today and at least uh, pre uh, maybe our, our first two beers from our ultimate six pack. How about that? Huh? Um, now, uh, Tony, today we were going to do the ultimate six pack beers. You would send home with a friend. I think that's the phrase I used, right? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, and in this case, I'm picking up on the that friend part of it, and I'm I'm looking to pick beers specifically for somebody like you. I'm not looking to pick beers purely for somebody that hasn't experienced any craft beer. Maybe somebody that doesn't have intimate first-hand knowledge of the Australian craft beer scene, but I am picking somebody that I know enjoys beer, and I don't have to convert them to beer and specifically modern or interesting beers. So I'm, I'm not looking to, to sort of turn the corner with somebody. I don't know whether you looked at it the same way, but that's the way I'm looking at it. I just am picking my favourite beers that I think are <laughs> exemplary of, the, um, of our time and place. How about that? I'm taking the Noma, I'm taking the Rene Red Zeppi approach to buying beer from a Binnie's. Um, which is uh, I'm going to represent the way I like beer now. Um, and that might change in three hours, frankly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably not, but um, I think uh, 
Uh, I think I think the, the beers I, I have in this in this collection, you know, pretty diverse stylistically. Um, not because you know someone like you or or a, or a friend of mine who is familiar with beer needs beer training, but just because I like beers of lots of different types. Um, and I also tried to focus on beers that are available. Yep. Um, because I don't know when this motherfucker's showing up. I don't know when you're getting here. So how do <laughs> I know I'm going to be able to get you know bourbon barrel aged dark lord? I just don't think I'm going to have that level of confidence in myself to be able to fetch that for you. So trying to focus on beers that are likely going to be available um, if I had a visitor. Um, and God, who knows when that's going to happen, huh? Uh, yeah, it could be uh, some time. I did look at it slightly differently because I with. I sort of wanted to give a person, especially because I know a lot of our listeners are from outside Australia, I wanted to give them more a rounded picture of Australian good beer. I won't say craft beer because some of these are owned by big corporations and um, some of them may be mass market. I'm not going to give that away. Some of them may be very niche and and craft limited releases, but... I wanted to sort of give a micro, more micro, um, sort of not micro, more macro picture of Australian beer, at least um, with some of the more mainstream, mainstream stuff, because I think that's a good indication of where we're at. So I think people know where the American pale ale is right now, and even even the the hazy IPA, and I I think it's it's key to sort of draw what Australian beer is. I'm also going to play a game with myself and I'm going to try to guess the rating on the beers that you, you put out there. So um, you can do that with mine too, if you like. <laughs> I, I got my untap pulled up because I'm curious. I haven't really looked at these beers in a while. Um, and feel free to guess how many of these beers I've drank in my life because I think that's going to be a funny thing to do too. And I am going to tell everybody because it is going to be funny. Uh, well, Tony, why don't you go first? Okay, I thought to start off with I would pick something that is sort of distinctly Australian. Now, you're probably familiar with the brands Coopers. They do an Australian sparkly, but Australian sparkly is sort of unique. To, it's, it's not a beer that I'm actually including in that six-pack because I think that's a uniquely Coopers beer and it's, and it's not indicative of the Australian current craft scene. Um, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale is um, a great one that I also thought about for the first beer. Um, It's sort of what people are calling an Australian pale ale and it's kind of like a hazy pale is the only way I can really look at it. So using a lot of Australian hops late in the brew but not going to the point of a hazy IPA a little bit more bitterness than what you would be expecting out of out of an American hazy most of the time. So the beer I've chosen is by Kaiju and it's Crush Tropical Pale Ale. This is a... What's it called? Crush? Crush with an exclamation okay. point. It's by Kaiju. Right. I'll spell the name of the brewery. K- I, I, I got it pulled over right now. Kaiju like the big monsters. Yes, and they have monsters on their can. Their cans are super fun. Um, their, their, their packaging is really fun. Um, Makes me want to watch Pacific Rim, the movie, if anyone's familiar with that movie. So if you think of like pale ale but 
push some of that bitterness to the back and and up the juiciness. Really, all right, a, a style that fits somewhere in between pale and hazy IPA. It's 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 not one or the other. It it is its own distinct style, and and that sounds really odd, and it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but it it really isn't. It is. Um, a real style in Australia, and the predominant thing is a big use of Australian hops to get that big fruit salad. That sounds really good. All right. I'm yep. going to guess that this beer is rated like a 3.7. I, th- I think so. you're probably on the mark there. I nailed it. It's 3.69. Ah, <laughs> yes. 4.7%. 30. Oh, this sounds good. All right. So did you have you got the beer descriptor there just so people can know what the marketing team are saying about the beer? Oh, you, we love the marketing. This is not, this isn't, this doesn't have pussy in it seven times though. I don't know if people are going <laughs> to like it. Um, a super clean malt profile allows the shipload of juicy tropical fruit flavors to arrive on the desert island of your palate unhindered. And it comes in a can. So after you crush it, you can crush it. Um, so this, then it has a story about the kaiju. Yeah, don't go, don't go into all that, but... Know that they were one of the first breweries in Australia to do a lot of can packaging, and now the majority, 90% of our beers are packaged in cans, thank God. This feels like something you really have to drink fresh. Like, you wouldn't be able to send this to me. Probably, if you even if you did, it wouldn't taste very good by the time I got it. Yeah, again, it's not like a, a hazy IPA where two weeks and you're done, but yeah, certainly within the it's at its peak within the first month. And it's still good, I would say, six to seven weeks after canning date. It, it for for the style, the Australian pales, perhaps knowing our distribution methods, they hold on reasonably well. Don't be drinking this in three months' time. Don't stick it in the back of your fridge and hold on to it. But it's reasonable compared to modern New England and hazies. Hey, this sounds good. What awesome. is your your first choice for your ultimate six pack? What did you go with? All right, Tony, I'm going with a classic. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I've been drinking a ton of it since I've been sitting at home, and it's a popular beer to drink in the studio halfway through our podcast when I run out of my first beer. This is called Fader. Um, F-A-D-E-R is by Chicago's very own uh, Half Acre Beer. Uh, It is an absolute classic. Uh, It came out last year in a 16-ounce can, um, with this kind of sleek looking gold look and feel to it. Um, it's, I'd say it's about four and a half, maybe 5%. And it says 5%. Um, but it, uh, it was this nice bright hoppy Pilsner and I loved it. And then this year they re-released it. Um, and it became a year round in a little 12 ounce white can with a little like keyhole logo on it. And it has this sort of old school look and feel to it now. And it still tastes, but it still tastes the same. Very like a bright hoppy. Um, I'm looking at it now. It's a Pilsner malt, a touch of Vienna, hopped with continental varieties of Tetanang, Tradition, and Saz. Okay, um, that was going to be the question I asked. I, I wanted to know whether it was a new take on a European classic, or this was sort of like that, that hopped up new American IPL for better. I can't it's pick not a bit. that. It's. Yep. This is a this is the fresh a fresh example of a continental, I'd say Czech pills. So a bit maltier um, than a German pills. 
I think it's hoppier than German Pils would would be my understanding of it. I mean, it's Saws. Yep. I guess that's where I'm at. I think it's. I think it's. I think the Saws bites on this, and that's why I like it because I can. It. I mean, I like. I like kind of more. You know, I guess that is a continental Pils is the like German style Pils that is a little more subtle. Um, and I might have it mixed up. I don't know, but the, this this one is more of a this is a crusher because it's got that little hop bite on it that yep. it just it'll it just dries out the beer real nice. So you can just hammer like six of these right off the right out right out the gate, which is what we want with a pilsner. The, a pilsner should be an a really crushable, drinkable style. And I, I want to try this beer. It sounds right up my alley, like super fresh. German or European style pills. I I think it might fall somewhere in between, say a bo- Bohemian um, Czech pills, which is maltier, and a German pills, which has more of that dried out hop bite. And but whether it falls in between the two, it doesn't really matter. It sounds delicious. Can I have a go at rating this? Give me yeah, give me your best shot, and I'll give you some of my thinking. Um, it sounds delicious. Sounds amazing. But you also said in the last show that half an acre beers were criminally underrated. So because of that, I have to sort of go against everything that I'm thinking. I'm thinking 4.2 and I have to actually say, no, people are stupid. I have to take off a full half point which brings me down to your exact rating at 3.7. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but... Yeah, you hit it. It's, uh, it's, you're, you're the same off. Uh, you're 100th off, just like me. It's <laughs> 3.71 is the rating. Um, only 3,000 ratings, though. It has a lot less ratings than the Kaiju um, does, which is interesting. I, I, I feel like people just like didn't hit this beer last year or something, but... Um, this says I've only checked in two of them. I'm, I'm just <laughs> laughing at that because I am positive I've checked in like, or I mean, I'm not, I haven't checked them in. I'm positive I've drank, you know, whatever. I've had 12 this this summer. I don't know. Whatever, what, what do you want? Um, you know, I kind of, you know, my lager diversity has expanded. I drink fader. Um, I, I drink fader to, uh, uh, at, for fun, I think. And I drink Stromhaus, the Hellas. Hellas makes me think a little bit, you know what I mean? This, this doesn't make me think. I, I do think it, it's, it's a beer you can think about, but I don't have to, if I don't want to. Um, I think a really nice Hellas some, for some reason takes more of my brain power to sort of appreciate it. You know what I mean? Um, this one I could, I could either say, damn, that's good. Or I could say like, okay, next, next one, please. You know? And not really even think twice. Uh, it's really good. Uh, t- Tony, give me the next one. Okay. You all know I have a love for Belgian beers, but this is a list about Australian beers. So I'm going to pick an Australian take on a Belgian classic. Now, you would probably think that I'm going to choose um, the um, – Saison as a style, and you would be correct. Mm -hmm. But the one I'm going to choose is not the one that I often talk about on this podcast. And the Saison I'm actually going to choose is by La Serene 
and it's their their classic saison. It is got a little bit more funk than say Dupont. It's pushing towards that that wild Belgian style, but it is still a farmhouse saison beer. Um, it is really drinkable, but this one actually makes you think a bit more than a straight-ahead DuPont-style clone. I really like it. Um, I think it finishes exactly the way a Saison should finish, super dry, um, super attenuated, really, really nice um, summer beer, perfectly designed for an Australian um, climate. All right. Uh, clearly this one is in the same range. I'm going to say like 3.5. Seven five. I'm going to take a guess that this this scores a little higher. I think anybody drinking saison um, will actually have some knowledge, and I hold out hope that three, it scores in the low three fours. Point eight, three point eight three. Um, oh. It looks dry as a bone. That, that'll explain it. Um, boy, what a beautiful color on this beer and a green bottle too. Um, I want it. Uh, true to classic, award winning saison. Pours a deep golden orange with aromas of wild fruits, complex rustic flavors of spice and little funk. Combines deliciously, deliciously to finally deliver a dry finish. This looks fantastic. Um, I'm sure this ages beautifully too. I bet you could sit on this for a year and it would come yep. out lovely. I don't know why you would, but you don't. But you know, it it looks like um, it makes me think of the Saint Somewhere beers. I don't know if Saint Somewhere is something you've heard of or are familiar with. I have saison in in florida um uh this this has sort of an aesthetic um much like saint somewhere yeah these guys are really a a saison type brewery themselves because they have season ears yeah yeah and that that's another beer i'm familiar with i also thought about um including that um like they do paradox which is also pretty delicious um I, they do dark stuff as well, dark farmhouse stuff. I haven't had their their um, stout, which is also a sour. That sounds delicious because it's chalk hazelnut vanilla stout that's a sour. That sounds really nice. But I am really familiar with their their um, their bog standard saison. Also, want to try <coughs> their Brett saison. Yeah, Brett say. I mean, my all time. I, I've my my probably one of my top three or four beers I've ever drank is the Boulevard Saison Brett. I've I've mentioned that probably five times on our twelve episode podcast. But um, yeah, Brett Saison is a is a joy. So dig that up, Tony. I'm sure that's good. Um, awesome. I want this. Six and a half percent looks good. Okay, what's your how would you fill your two spot in your six pack? All right. You're going to know this one. You haven't had it, but you're going to know it. It's the all time, uh, Chicago classic, Chicago area, classic zombie dust, baby. Zombie dust is not, not making it into my six pack right now. Uh, it is a absolute delight to drink. They put it in cans. Now, just recently they started canning this beer. Um, it now stays fresher for at least another day or two than it used to. <laughs> um, it is so fun to drink. I actually had, I mean, it was about three weeks old the last time I had it and it tasted excellent. Um, had no problems with it. 
Um, it is a 100% Citra. I'd call it a West Coast slash Midwest style pale ale. A um, little high in alcohol for what you would usually call a pale ale. It's 6.2%, but Lee Floyd's is famously, you know, mis miscategorized beer, I think. I don't think they're too concerned about it, honestly. Um, this is a, it's an amazing beer to drink. Don't drink it too cold would be my number one advice with this. It will not bloom if it's, if it's, you know, 31 degrees. Um, and I have drank, Tony, how many of these do you think I've checked in? And I, I would guess I've had 30 more than I've checked in. I would say you've checked in eight. I've checked in 70, Tony. <laughs> Not I've even close. 70, I've checked in 70 zombie dusts. Um, when I was, uh, when, when, when Kelly and I first moved in together, this was sort of a staple um, whether it was at bars at the time, zombie dust sort of craft beer sort of hadn't gotten in, into the scope it had, it has now in 2009, for example. And I would walk to our local pub in our, the old town we lived in and they would have zombie dust on cask dude. Um, and nobody cared. You have a zombie dust cast. Now people are waiting in line. People are, you know, like, Oh my God, they have a pin of zombie dust. We have to go, you know, get a ticket or something, you know? Um, they just had it and you can go eat a burger and drink one on cask. Um, so I'd be doing that. They would always have it on tap. I'd go out to the brew pub. They'd have it on tap. Um, bars had it around. Um, then they started bottling it and I would buy a six pack every time I saw it. Um, and all of a sudden it just kept adding up. Uh, there was a period of time where I was one of the top five drinkers of this beer in the world, <laughs> kind of a early phase of untapped, um, Right now, that's long over the total amount of check-ins. Tony, you got to guess this number. How many times has this beer check been checked in ever? You got, <laughs> you got it. You, you're not Three Floyds it. is a big brewery. It's, this is not some like podunk operation. I'm going to have to say 125,000 times. It's an okay guess, but you're not really close. You're within the order of magnitude at least. Um, it's 676,390 check-ins. Yeah. Zombie does. I'm a mile off. That That's yeah. that's crazy to think uh, that you were formerly one of the, the top um, zombie dust checkers. Yeah, well, that boy, talk about something that ended very quickly. Um, zombie does change, though. Now it's available at any... You know, any liquor store, any beer place, you can pretty much get it. Um, it does sell pretty fast. Um, it, they, they still run out of it. Um, and, and it has a very, uh, well, it has a good rating, Tony. I'll, I, mean, I knew you knew it had a good rating. But what do you think the rating is when I say it's a good rating? Um, something that mainstream. Um, With 676,000 check-ins. Yeah, I, th I think that actually helps its case. Um and some of the people that are tasting it are going to give it higher scores just to be a part of that crowd. I think this is definitely in the fours. Um, beers are never as hot as I think they're going to be. I'm going to say 4.1. Yeah, it's 4.34, which is wow. really high for, for a beer with that many check-ins. Um but yeah, I mean, if you're coming into Chicago for the first time and you go to Three Floyds for the first time and you get a zombie dust in that big 20 ounce Imperial pint, you're five star in that. I'm telling you, and you should, and it's a five star beer. Um, 
it's not a five-star beer out of the can. And it's just true. It's not, um, it's, it's a four and a half star beer out of the can, but it is not, it's not the same. And when it comes out of that tap with that big two inches of head on it and it's fluffy and it's, you know, 50 degrees served. Ugh, ugh, I want that so bad. And their poop and their brew pub is, is closed now, which is very depressing. Um, and closed for the, for the, you know, indefinitely, not just because of COVID it is, it is closed. Um, which is, uh, very depressing to think about would have been one of the first places I went, you know, in 2023 when I can go outside again. Um, so there you go. That's my first two. I think those were pretty boring entries by me. Pretty predictable. In fact, I, I wouldn't say pretty predictable. I, I wasn't surprised by the, the zombie dust. Uh, I thought there might've been, um, the cloudy lager that you're a fan of might've been in your first two, um, or crankshaft for that, for that yeah, one you know, the spot. Problem with, problem with putting Heliostat, Heliostat in um, a six-pack is you can't – I'd have to put a glass of it in the six-pack because you can't get it packaged. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, oh. uh, they won't package it because they, they, they don't filter it and they think it's too volatile of a quality concern to pack. Not that it will infect, but it just won't be good, you know? Yep. A lot of live yeast in there. Yep. Um, so Tony, I had, uh, I had one other topic. Well, actually I have, I have a couple other things about this and, and this is kind of fits in with zombie dust. Um, I want to talk about, uh, zombie dust is getting a 4.34 rating and it doesn't nearly have the scarcity of other beers. Um, you know, do you think, I, I started to think about this this week. Do you think scarcity has an, I mean, what kind of impact on like rating and evaluation does does scarcity have in Australia? Is that the, I mean, is that a uncommon thing to Australians uh, as it is to the U.S. where I think the scarcity impacts the rating? Um, I think, I think the people that sometimes go after these more um, less available beers often rate them more harshly and are not necessarily. Um, more informed on the subject, they consider themselves to be um, purveyors of sort of the beer seal of approval, and I don't. So you think, think they rate the scarce beers more harshly? I I do. I I see that time and time again with Australian rating on Untapped um, for sure. Um, because see, I think scarcity here is considered a a a value. A, a, a premium is put on it. So for example, the beer I that gushed and I dumped out and I can't imagine I had the only bad bottle on earth, you know, yep. um, was rated like a 4.4 and it was because it was by two very, you know, hard to acquire breweries for most people. Um, unless you're in a membership or you're in the specific area that those breweries are in, um, their stouts are very highly valued and they collaborated on this beer and this beer is getting a 4.3 or something, um, 4.3, 4.4, you know, very high rating for, for this. And, um, I was like, who likes this? Who's enjoying this, this souring caramel bomb? Um, <laughs> I didn't understand. I, I think that, you know, there's, there's something, uh, unique about, and maybe this is just an American problem in general that we put a premium on scarcity of stuff like, 
if everyone can get it, it must not be very good. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And maybe that has to do, I mean, not to turn this into this, but I think that, I think that is reflected back in like our lifestyles and our politics and stuff. Right. I mean, people, I think there is something to be said for people don't love the idea of everyone having health care because then it means that I'm not getting the special thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I think, I don't know if I, it doesn't, I don't know if that's true in the rest of the world, but I think that's reflected in like even the way we talk about beer here. Yeah, I think the difference is because our communities aren't as developed as you guys in the States, we have to get beers from a broader cross-section of places. If you were drinking Victoria beers, you would miss out in a big cross-section of beers from... New South Wales, Queensland, WA, South Australia. It's not like you you can hop over to Indiana. It's it's an hour down the road or whatever it is, and you can check out their beer scene. You can go to Wisconsin and you can check out their beer scene. If I want to go and check out WA, <laughs> but if I want to go out and and check out a beer in another state, that's a minimum eight hour drive. Six hour drive, yeah. Yeah, and to, to get to, to a fair, major centre, it, it's longer than that. You, you're driving all the way to Adelaide is probably the closest next major beer centre after Melbourne. Um, so, If anyone's coming to the Midwest, if any of our fans are coming to the Midwest, just drop me a line, you know, beer engine, uh, sorry, beer engine show at gmail.com. Just tell us. I'll, I'll tell you where to go. Don't go to Indiana. Don't. <laughs> Indianapolis is one of the worst cities on earth, and I don't care if I have a listener from Indianapolis. Turn <laughs> off the goddamn show. Uh, just kidding. But the uh, I think I think Indiana just has one of the it has this beer scene that thinks it's really like impressive, but it, it's really it's nothing. It's just total like toss it out. Um, <laughs> except for three boys, obviously, which I would just call a Chicago brewery. I mean, it's. <laughs> Whatever they're watching, they're watching Chicago news stations there. I mean, they don't get Indianapolis anything there. It's not whatever. Um, really, that's that's yeah, fascinating. No, it's, it's Chicago land, Northwest Indiana. That's all the same. Ah. You know, we're all the same. I'm only about. It's only about you know without traffic. If I'm driving the normal speed on I-80, which is you know 80 85 miles an hour. Uh, I can be there in 35 minutes, probably. Um, not that there's any reason for me to do that now. And Indiana is actually doing even worse than we are with the coronavirus. So I'll be staying away from there for the moment. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. I think that's something to keep unpacking for a while here. I think it's pretty obvious that rarity is valued in beer in general. Oh, I, I do but agree. I think, but it, I think it affects ratings differently. I think in Australia yeah. we're expecting something magical out of some of these beers that are more scarce, and that's not necessarily the case. You're not getting something that is orders of magnitude better, but yeah. in a lot of cases you are getting not here either. things <laughs> that are better and, they sh and the ratings should reflect that they are better and they shouldn't be dinged for not being magical unicorns that vomit the world's best beer. Yeah, well, then that's a problem here too is that there there's not an appreciation for the shelf the shelfies the shelf turds you know <laughs> what, what people call them um 
Uh, well, you know, Boulevard's a good example. Of they make these like insanely good barrel aged beers, but they're twelve ninety nine, and you can get them whenever you want. You know, their Grand Cru was like a blend of barrel aged stout and barley wine. It was madness, but it cost twelve ninety nine, and you could have it whenever. Um, and it got like a you know, ooh, a four point one. Hey, this is pretty good for a shelfie. I mean, it was probably one of the best beers I had last year. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but you know, that's just what people are like. It's it's nuts. Yep. Um, Okay, Tony, I prepped you for this. I have to talk about this to the nine people or 15 people or 1,000 people who are listening to this over the course of its very long existence on the internet. Um, you know, if you're out there in, you know, the year 28, 22, um, I just want to tell you about a, a little television show. There is a TV show that has been on the Food Network, and we do have a Food Network. I know you're eating whatever, Soylent Green or, you know, uh, unflavored root milk or what, I don't know, um, out there in the future. But they had this network that was all about food, and they had this show on there called The Worst Cooks in America. And Tony, are you familiar with this show? I am. It, It did air on cable television here in Australia for a period of time. So on Worst Cooks of America, what happens is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a bunch of extremely psychologically damaged people uh, are exploited by uh, Anne Burrell, who hasn't been canceled yet. Well, hasn't been canceled again. I feel like she had been canceled and is no, and then got uncanceled. I actually can't tell. (laughs) Um, And then now it's Alex Cornishelli, who a delightful person. Honestly, I like Alex Cornishelli great Instagram account. If you like looking at food, she makes very like very luxurious looking food. Um, looks good. You know, she's pretty funny. Um, it's been a different person every couple of years, right? Who was it? Tony? Yeah. Al- Alton Brown did it recently. Yeah. Um, I think it might've been. Oh, McMillan was on there. If you remember who the hell that is. And he was canceled to some degree. Um, uh, you know, throw out another Tyler Florence, you know, Oh, that that's, that might have been who was canceled on a... potentially maybe <laughs> once or twice. Who knows? You know, I need a big list of canceled chefs somewhere. I don't know, but uh, I would like to place my application so for for this for the show. Essentially, I want to be the blue team chef, um, and I am not arguing that I am a better chef than Alex Cornishelli because I am not a better <laughs> chef than Alex Cornishelli, and I am not as as good a chef or even in the vicinity of a good cook, uh, as, as any of these, you know, professionally trained people or even self-trained people, you know, I can, I can cook, I'm capable of cooking. Um, I have, I, I've done knife skills. I watch food network. I can make food, you know, I can make a sauce. I can make a hollandaise, all that shit. Fine. But, the, the real thing about worst cooks in America, Tony, and I don't know if, if you're kind of limited viewing of it has, has shown this to you is that these people are very broken people. Um, <laughs> they're on reality they're, television. They're, so of course they're going to be extremely broken people. Right. Well, I would say these people are broken in such a way that actually isn't even typical for reality television. Um, these people are broken in, kind of a unique, I would say, even Lynchian way, um, if you're familiar with, like, a David Lynchian type of way. I'm glad you, they are broken. I'm glad you cleared that their, up with the current American political climate, but David Lynch, gotcha. 
<laughs> what are you going to cut this? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, they are broken like at their core um, in the fa- And I think this is sort of similar to the, you know, I don't know if you watched, you know, not to go TV show to TV show here, but you know, a lot of the Lynch shows talk about sort of the breaking of social bonds and things like that. Right. The movies and twin peaks has a, has a little bit of that too, but these people can't feed themselves. That is a core <laughs> function of staying alive and the way they've had to feed themselves to survive has essentially broken the, the core bond they had with the social bond contract they had with themselves. Um, the only way they can eat is if someone else does it. Yeah. Um, they don't have any capability to do that. And essentially what that does, it feels like is it sort of breaks them down from the inside. Um, and I know this is more analysis than anyone's ever done on this show. <laughs> But I just, it, it was very, it's, it's consistently been very revealing to me. And I've watched this show over, you know, on and off, honestly, for the last, however many years it's been on 10, five, 10 years. I don't know. Um, it's definitely been on at least 10 years. And my method, uh, I would like to, pr- to propose my method um, to serve as the blue team chef opposite Ambrell. Okay, now in this pitch, are you going to break it down into a series of steps, or are you just going to give us an elevator pitch on on why you should? Um... No, this better be a long elevator ride because I got <laughs> I got I got a, I got a I got a whole thing here, and I, I'm not going to explain it super well, I don't think, but I'm sure I can go on a nice rant. Um, okay, all right. So I have I have um, we'll say five to six steps. Let's see how I how I end up with this. But number one. So, for example, in the show, Tony, what they do is they start by uh, they, they cook some awful thing. They, they bring him in there. They make ass. They make a total ass of themselves. Um, they cook, you know, uh, Pepto-Bismol like soups or um, <laughs> they put an entire chicken in like lukewarm water for an hour or whatever. Just total jackassery, like fuck up shit, you know, <laughs> nightmare. Um, so that's nuts. But then after that, what they do is they, uh, they go with the chef and the chef, um, will show them how to make something, make a dish. And it's usually a composed dish. And it always strikes me as being absurdly complicated for the level of skill they just witnessed. Right. (laughs) Yes. So, so it's like, okay, wow. You look like you can't even like not cut your hand open when you walk into the kitchen or you don't, you just start crying immediately when you're in there. Um, let's make uh, oyster and pearls from the French laundry. Like what, what are you doing? What, what is that for anybody? You know, that's not helpful. Um, so my first step would be I'm bringing in a, a, a therapist. Um, we are going to talk first about, we're not cooking. The knives go away in my first, in my first week, we are talking about self-worth. You deserve to, to nurt, to be nourished, to be fed, to, to eat real life food. You are a valuable person. You can contribute to society in a real way. All right. That's, that's the first week is just that. 
I don't know if it's a week or a day. I don't know how long this shit is. So whatever amount of time, that's one fifth of the time we are just doing that is like a reminder of your ability, your requirement to survive on the earth. You need to be able to feed yourself. Okay. Now this is a TV show. Remember we're making, so we've got to make this compelling. We've got to get in a. Oh no. I mean, Tony Robbins has been on TV for, Whatever. Well, let's get Tony Robbins' ass in here. Well, oh, he was canceled too. Let's hold on with Tony Robbins. He's one option. We also have Dr. Phil. We have the likes of sure. Brene Brown. Which one of those are you getting in to coach these people? I don't give a shit. Cref- bringing Creflo Dollars dead ass. I don't care. You know, when any of these, tele- <laughs> you know, Joel Osteen. I don't know. We just need someone <laughs> who has enough energy and, and reassuredness to tell these people, they deserve better because this is how they're living their life is just like leaning out the car, grabbing quarter pounders, you know, or whatever. Or one lady was like, I take my husband to my, to our in-laws or to, or to, you know, to my parents' house every single day of the week to eat. Like, <laughs> damn dude, that's crazy. You know, we, we have to, you have to convince people that this is not the way, you know, Yep. That there's something at wrong at the base of this. Um, the first thing they do is not cook jerk chicken. I just want that to be clear, okay? Because <laughs> uh, that's the first thing they did this week, <laughs> was butcher a whole chicken. That was the first thing they did. Um, something that I had done in a while, to be fair. But um, All right, so second thing. So does that make sense, Tony? You get what I'm saying. Or we have to get at like a core improvement methodology here yes second i am i am bringing in i am trying to understand what skills these people have i guess so one one problem i've had with this show is that um they don't seem to understand the existence of things like say google right (laughs) so instead of like looking up things they could cook they just start cooking and throwing shit around and I'm sort of baffled by that concept. I was like, okay, so how do these people do things like, and or do they? You know, they do their laundry. They, um, you know, fix shit in their house. Uh, they have to look up on Yahoo Answers how to fix the toilet, like me. And then people are responding to it for some reason. I don't know what they're <laughs> saying. Um, how do they do that stuff? And and I'm and I'm trying to get at that. Like, so the question is for of- me for a while. Like home ec shit, you know? How do they function in this world on a very basic level, performing basic tasks that yeah. enable us to live as So then as I can humans. Like go put my arm around them and be like, how did you know how much detergent to put in that? It's like, oh, I looked it up. Oh, that's interesting. Well, but there's the problem. Look up there. How'd you do that? These people <laughs> think that, that food is different to the packaging exactly. with their detergent yes. and things. like. Maybe and, it's because and, it comes with a ready-made scoop, so people think, "Oh, one of those." That makes sense. Where and, very rarely do you have that with food. Even even the simplest, most prepared meals that you get at a supermarket, often you have to get a measuring cup out to measure water, or um, or at least read the and, instructions to have a reasonable idea. And it's it's but, not but that here's hard. Here's the problem, of course. Yes. So here, so here, we're going to draw this line here that we can take the life skills that you have, and we can apply those 
to real life food scenarios. So from there, we are going to go into an absurdly simple cooking exercise. Okay. So you're saying that things are coming in predetermined sizes that are ready to be eaten. I would argue that our Lord and Savior, the uh, God, or Jesus, I don't, what am I, you know, whatever. Jesus. Veg- he's, he's out there and he put vegetables are of the size already of one person eating them. Hang on, Many hang on, hang on. For one person to eat. I'm sorry. Some vegetables are okay, one person yeah, exactly. size. But a lot of them are, honestly, <laughs> right? So some of them, obviously not just like biting down on a whole celery head or whatever. But um, so what I was going to do was we're going to do the most simple thing that you could make and you could eat. And it would be better than anything you could just come up with. Right. So I was like, we could make a, a taco with zucchini and black beans. You know what I mean? So you just cut up a zucchini, right? Well, I'm going to show you this. We cut up a zucchini in okay. half moons. We put black beans in there. We sprinkle salt and pepper on it. We wrap it in a tortilla and people are going to, and they're going to say, and you put a little green salsa on there. I'll be like, damn, wow. That was good. That took me 30 seconds. Like shit. I could do this for myself. So here's the problem with my my audition for this show, though. That's boring. Yes. That's- it would make them better at cooking, though, and it would make them able to live their life if they could just realize that, oh, all I have to do is, like, put some, um, you know, uh, uh, put some green peppers and uh, some, uh, uh, you know, cooked sweet potato or something or a can of black beans or whatever in a pot or in a pan and then wrap it up in these pre-existing, in these tortillas right here. Like I don't have to season a, cut apart an entire chicken to be able to cook. Yes, you can make food for yourself in a very easy way and it's okay to do that. And then you can live Normal, like a normal person. <laughs> but the problem you're um, confusing is that this show is designed to help people. It is not designed to help people. First of all, it's on the Food Network. Who are the people <laughs> that watch the Food it's Network? Me, it's, it's helping me laugh is what it's doing, I, think, I guess, if it's helping anyone. Yeah, but it's on the Food Network. Who are people on the Food Network? People that like food. They've They've actually gone and they've, They've worked out how to get it either on their, their cable box, stream it, or watch it live, if that's still a thing. And they've sought out a a show that is specifically yeah. designed for people that have an interest in food. So it's designed as entertainment. It's not there to help you to cook. I know, I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I give them, you know, you give them something very simple, you get them to have success immediately. You know what I mean? You can have this, you can make this immediately and be successful, right? Instead of you, oh shit, you know, Janie didn't butcher the chicken, right? And now she's missing a finger. Wonder what she's going to do next week, you know? Um, I, I think early success, then start the growth, you know, add more. Hey, what if you put, what if you replace that zucchini with uh, a little piece of steak, you know, or something, and then start expanding from the success? Maybe just, hey, don't make me the blue team chef. Just give me them like for a week before they start this goddamn show so that they don't like just start crying. There's a whole team that just cries. That's all they do. They just sob the whole time. Who likes that? Obviously you do. You watch it. 
Yes, and then, I love it. It's funny when they cry. I'm laughing. <laughs> so you it's want my favorite. So you want to rob this this joyless cry world more. that we <laughs> You want to rob this joyless world that we live in of laughing at people. <laughs> That's a good point, I guess. Well, yeah, Tony's right. I mean, I should just laugh at the sobbing freaks. Um, one guy is named Yo this year. Um, that's right, Y-O. Yep, and there was the whole team that cried every single time somebody else presented their dish. Uh, there was a lady who cut herself, I would say, four times during the episode um, trying to make jerk chicken. Jerk chicken, not an easy thing to cook, by the way. I just want that to be clear. Um, for somebody who can't cook, at least. Um, but so anyways, that's a crappy audition, but I would love to, um, you know, I, I, more than anything, maybe I just want to entertain myself and I just want to understand what the hell is going on with these people. I, I think that's your problem. You, this is a problem that you've discussed in the past that you want to understand what makes these broken people, they're on a reality show. So therefore by definition, they have to be broken. It's just a matter of how many degrees they're broken. Um, you want to understand these people, whether it be Love Island, Too Hot to Handle. Um, Jessica from Love is Blind, yeah. Yeah, I know. Love is Blind. No, this is the problem I have. And, and it's, it's not uncommon and for, for people on our, you know, sort of expanded podcast universe. I think, we, I think a lot of us have this issue, honestly. Um, <laughs> we're, the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the shitty Marvel universe of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just something I thought about that's fucked up. Um, all right, Tony, that was the rant I was begging to do. And, uh, hey, at least I got angry. That's pretty good. That is good for you. At least you're feeling something in this this crazy mixed-up world. I'll take anger at this point. It's an emotion. It means that we're human. We are not robots. At least I don't think you're a robot, even though your voice can be robotic at times. When, when the, uh, I think it's the, robots. Is that when the VoIP signal drops. So um, I still think you yeah. are human. I have met you. I know you are pot, part cyborg with your artificial valves. Are they mechanical or true. are they like an animal byproduct? No, they're mechanical. I can't nice. do the I'm, I'm not doing the animal because, they. you know, it would be really bad if I had the animal ones now because I'd be looking at three or four years and I'd have to get them again. And you better you better believe I'm not wanting to go into a hospital anytime <laughs> within the next handful of years. I don't know. It's looking pretty. I'm not feeling great about going anywhere. Nevertheless, a, a hospital. Um, all right, Tony. I think we have. I think I've put these folks through enough uh, complaining. Um, all right, gang. You guys can email us beerengineshow at gmail dot com and tell me a story or. Respond to my uh, insane tirade about Worst Cooks in America, the world's finest television show. Uh, tell us about your six-pack if you have any uh, interesting additions or, or have any complaints or arguments with the beers that we chose. Um, you can also do that uh, on Instagram. Our Instagram is uh, Beer Engine Pod. Uh, or you can find us on Untap. I'm Griff AD, and Tony is at St. Maz with a Z. And uh, you can see what we're drinking. Uh, Tony, do you have any uh, parting uh, statements for our friends and peers and colleagues and, you know, whatever else we want to call them? People, before going on a reality TV show, seek 
professional help from a mental health professional? Uh, no, I disagree. If we're going on a reality TV show, call call us so we can have you on, so I can break down these steps and sort of see where you're at on the uh, Griff the Griff scale of mental wellness. <laughs> All right, later on, everyone. Oh, by the way, I just want to tease. Oh. Next week we could have an amazing guest. Maybe cool. amazing is going to be part of his handle. Maybe not. Who knows. <laughs> Oh my god, that's you're you're breaking news to me. Oh no. 